Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Liza's Lab. This is episode four, and this week we're going to be talking about the beginnings of ballet. If you tuned in last week, we discussed uh, folk dances, and this week we're kind of going to see how folk dances turn into codified dance techniques. So specifically, we're going to be kind of looking at the court dances in France and how it turned into ballet that we know today. So the first reading this week was called um, Glimpses of the Past. It's chapter two from our book, Ballet and Modern Dance, A Concise History by Jack Anderson. Of course, I'll drop that um, citation in uh, the bio below. Um, so this this chapter kind of discusses folk dances briefly and how it started to transition into the theatrical realm. Uh, it references Kabuki, actually, from last week's reading. So that was great to make that connection. Um, however, this, this chapter focuses more on Greek dance as a whole. So many dances arose on the island of Crete, and they were more theatrical than folk dances we have previously discussed. There was one that was specifically mentioned that um, was meant to imitate war. It involved singing and chanting, and this is kind of where the layering of theatrical elements started to come in. They would um, use the like swords and shields as props. There would be a lot of uh, like clanging of the different weapons and chanting and singing, um, actually of both genders as well. Um, or both sexes, excuse me. And so these um, started to be layered in more and more and it started to become more and more performative. And eventually it actually made it onto amphitheaters and there would be casts of 20 different people. Um, and it was a very exciting spectacle more than it was um, like a ritual or folk dance that we have seen. Um, there was also the birth of the symposium, which is huge. Uh, the symposium was sort of like our modern day dinner theater. Um, theatrical elements were provided while more noble or higher class people would enjoy their dinner and watch. It was um, kind of ahead of its time, I think. Um, and so a lot of these elements are folk dances becoming slowly more performative. There was acting, singing, dancing, um, some makeup, some props, things like that were all being layered in. Um, and eventually, when the Roman Empire came to dominate, these logical spectacles became a little less prevalent. Um, however, a new form called the pantomime flourished. It was typically a one-person show um, where they would play a multitude of characters through costume changes, different voices or mannerisms, and they would act out these well-known stories um, that would include dancing, singing, acting. Obviously, costuming was a huge part of it. Um, and it was often performed more in the streets. And so these actors were really diverse. Um, and it, but it quickly became like lewd and it was described as horrifying. Um, it doesn't really go into a whole lot of depth as to why, but this was, um, it was really confrontational and not many people enjoyed it. It seemed, um, to go against their values of art. And so eventually, um, it became denounced by the church altogether. And so we see dance kind of start going on the decline because the church saw it as uh, basically almost a sin. There's not really a whole lot of other ways to describe it. It was disrespectful. It was um, unclassy. It was dangerous. Um, and so we see it really go into the decline. Um, but it doesn't does rise again, of course, um, during the Renaissance, which is a great transition into the next reading. So the next reading is from the same book. Um, it's chapter three called Dance at the Royal Courts. Um, so as I said, dance was um, kind of back on the rise during the Renaissance. There was this whole refresh of um, old ideas kind of being recycled and revisited. Um, and so this is kind of the beginning of 
ballet. So um, many people believe that ballet is like a French creation because obviously we use French language today and they aren't totally wrong by that, um, but it's actually Italian. It obviously has roots with the um, Renaissance and it actually was first called Baroque dance. So Catherine de' Medici um, married, she was Italian and she married and became the queen of France, but it is Italian history and culture that helped create ballet as we know it today. Um, so Catherine de Medici was quite the trendsetter in the time. She popularized makeup, um, various different fashion choices. Um, she brought over Italian etiquette. She brought forks to France, which is obviously very important. And of course, uh, many different dancing traditions. So she is the reason that ballet became prominent in the French courts. So it started in the courts, which meant that ballet was for and by the nobles, um, which means that nobles choreographed it, nobles performed it, nobles were the only ones that saw it. Um, and it was typically performed in a ballroom setting. So um, the performers would be in the middle of the room, um, they'd be surrounded by an audience, but then a level above them, there would also be an audience that would look down on the crowd. Um, so this would make formations a huge part of... Um, the first style of ballet. Um, all of these different formations meant different things and it really helped drive the story. Similarly, they had a lot of connections to um, literature, especially in England that is mentioned in the reading. Um, so depending on the geographical area, there were different emphases, um, but there was uh, a lot of emphasis on the formations, the story, and very much the costuming as well. This kind of goes back to Catherine de' Medici and her um, physical appearance and what she valued. Um, and this kind of starts to be shown in early ballet. Um, but it wouldn't exactly, the steps definitely didn't look like they look today. Um, it wasn't until around like the 17th century that we see things start to drive towards what we know ballet as today. So we see developments um, of the bar. And so the bar um, helped complicate ballet, if we're being honest. Um, the steps started to become almost too simple. And so they started to create new things and they needed, they would use a chair to help them balance and practice these more difficult steps. And then we see the creation of our modern day bar where we practice exercises there, we use it to help train jumps, to help train footwork, all of those important things. Similarly, um, it starts to move out of courts into the proscenium stage. This actually made it more accessible. I know this argument is used against ballet today, but um, it was taking out of the courts, made it more accessible to the general public. Um, technically anyone could buy a ticket to see the ballet then. Even if it wasn't necessarily affordable, it wasn't completely closed off from the public. Um, however, it wasn't an immediate shift to the proscenium stage. And it began with um, beginning kind of with a larger stage, yes, with wings, but it just, there were still platforms that could allow the audience to be with the performers. Um, they could participate, they could sit on the stage and watch from there, and different things like that. And eventually it did completely split from um, the performers and the audience, and dance became a profession in and of itself. From there, it continues to drive forward into the more codified technique that it is today. Um, we see different princes from around the area of Italy and France that were um, began competing with their um 
with the development of courts, with their performances and trying to make everyone more elaborate than their neighbor. Um, this competition was actually really good for the development of ballet because there were so many different styles, lots of new steps being created, um, kind of goes along with the Renaissance, all of it building up all at once. Um, similarly, depending on geographical area, women were allowed to choreograph in Spain. Um, this artistically was huge. And for women's rights, it's obviously huge. Um, it's a considering the time have giving women a position of power is shocking. All these women um, did have to be married for in order for them to work, but um, they still had a position of power. Um, even though they weren't allowed to perform, they were allowed to choreograph. Um, and similarly, like I mentioned before, England had this um, emphasis on the storyline and the connection to literature um, that helped drive it forward and bring in different elements of theater, such as the pantomime that was prominent in um, Rome. So um, all of these things combined really helped us um, codify that technique and really expand it rather quickly. Um, it wasn't until Louis XIV, though, that ballet becomes really codified and almost uh, like established and set in stone. Um, I guess set in stone is the greatest word, but it becomes um, more official, I guess. So Louis XIV um, was huge because he was a performer. He was um, really popularized ballet. Um, he was, he lived and breathed ballet. I mean, people would come and watch him go to bed. Everything was an act for him. Um, and he ended up establishing the first school and officially establishing um, what we know as today as the Paris Opera, which is the oldest ballet um, company in the world. Um, so he was huge, obviously, to the development of ballet. And this school really allowed um, the development of younger students and the growth of the technique and the refi the refination, I don't know if that's a word, the refinement of the ballet technique as well. Um, and so it started to develop into what we know as today. Now, obviously, um, these all happened over time. There was more than just mentioned here, um, more people that were involved, different geographical areas and influences. Um, but this is just the beginning and I'm sure we'll be talking about it for weeks to come. So from both of these readings, a lot of questions came up. Um, ballet is arguably one of the most controversial dance styles because a lot of people will argue hardcore that ballet is the root of all dance um, and others completely deny that. Um, personally, I believe that there isn't really a root of all dance. Um, I think there's human nature. I think we all move, obviously. Um, but the root, I think there is no root of all dance. Dance um, styles feed into one another. There's so much overlapping. There's so much cross-contamination that there isn't one that is perfect as a base for all. Um, Today, we started to discuss kind of the opposites that are involved in dance education, how important it is to make sure that you aren't just taking all ballet classes. Um, we discussed kind of the inequality as well that we all experienced growing up. Um, for me personally, I experienced um, ballet being the root of all dance. Um, even though I don't value it that way today, uh, we had to take ballet classes two or three times a week to be a part of our performing company um, because that was considered a prerequisite. It was necessary for you to perform well. You had to know how to dance ballet strongly. And that is clearly a placement of value. We never had West African classes offered at my dance studio, um, which on one hand I do understand because we don't have anyone that is experienced or educated enough to teach it. 
Um, and so the attempt made was to ensure that we also all took TAP classes. Um, that was the attempt to counterbalance that inequality of opposite styles. They aren't obviously direct opposites, but making sure we value the European aesthetic as well as the African aesthetic in ordering to balance our education. Um, similarly, a lot of these readings um, brought up how do we make ballet accessible um, and how does the history play into how we access ballet today. Um, so we talked about how the courts were originally very closed off because it was for and by the nobles. Um, so the proscenium stage really did make it more accessible for people to um, consume and potentially learn ballet, as well as the opening of the school in France um, helped more people learn ballet. However, it is still like a considered a high class art. Um, and how does that affect how we learn it today? There is so much that plays into this, I believe. Um, starting with the fact that uh, ballet lessons are arguably one of the most expensive and getting into good ballet schools. There's so many different audition fees. There's costuming fees. There's um, just the limitation of where you live. Um, getting to classes. There's so many things that aren't accounted for that make it impossible for people of all classes to truly participate in ballet. Beyond that, YAGP is a very well-known ballet competition, and a lot of people can get their start there if they want to be in a ballet company eventually. However, those costumes alone are $300 minimum. Um, similar with like entrance fees for things like that. I mean, all of these performance opportunities cost so much money. Um, beyond that, there's also a huge hierarchy of what a ballet body should be. Um, this ballet body is usually long, lean, and thin, um, and similarly, there's also racism that is involved in ballet dancers. Um, the idea of uniformity or um, preference versus prejudice is always something that needs to be discussed and something that needs to be continued to be pushed um, so it is more accessible for all people. Um, ballet does have a lot of issues, but there are a lot of things that should be appreciated about it as well. Um, and so a lot of these questions are things that are definitely relevant to today. Um, similarly, we also discussed how ballet was performed predominantly by men and women were only really allowed to choreograph, if even that. Um, and so in recent years, we've seen the Men Dance 2 movement. And this has been um, focused mainly on ballet, but also in all styles. Um, so the question we posed today was how has ballet gone from being this predominantly male performs art to being one that is barely accepting or like, or well, how is the popular culture not accepting of this anymore? Why are we not, why is there not an influx of men? Um, and I think this is really broken down to um, a little bit later in ballet history. So I, there's this shift that happens um, I think rather in the romantic period that when ballet becomes more about um, the presentation of the woman and that woman is very sexualized, arguably ballet became prostitution almost. There was um, an idea that you went to the ballet to see hot women dance, how that is ridiculously frustrating to me. Um, but this idea that the men became um, background pieces almost to present the women and they 
weren't really there as strong male figures like they were in England when there was this connection to um, literature and a story and they didn't have as prominent of a, of a role. And so they become became background pieces to this hypersexualized feminine art. Um, and only now are we really trying to see that reversal. Um, and even then a reversal isn't enough in my opinion. There needs to be an overall way more accepting culture around ballet. Um, there's obviously there's sexism involved, there's racism involved. Um, and then there's the whole back to the ballet body. What do we value in aesthetics um, for ballet specifically? Um, I'm sure we're gonna discuss these things a lot more in depth in the next coming weeks as we dive deeper into ballet history. And this is only the beginning, um, but there's a lot to value in ballet and there's a lot that still needs to happen for ballet to be um, a really inclusive art form for everyone to enjoy and appreciate and it not be a boundary. Um, so yeah, please let me know your thoughts. I feel like there's so much more to talk about for ballet history. And so I'm really excited to keep going on this subject. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. Sorry it ended kind of dark. There's a lot of problems with ballet, but it's okay. We'll get better. Um, thank you guys. See you next week.